The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. Just about 4.07 on the Central Coast on this Thursday, July 11th, 2019. Good afternoon. Happy Thursday. How are you? I'm Dave Congleton. This is where we have a plan for you the rest of the show. We are launching a new local talk show. We're all very excited here at KVEC. Our good friend and colleague Mark Wilson is going to debut Monday, and he's going to be with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from noon until 2. And guess what? Our own Craig Hill is going to produce that show as well. So you'll get more local talk, more Craig Hill. I, that works for me. Anyway, Mark Wilson is going to be here at 5.05 to officially introduce himself to some of you. Pepper Daniels, our program director, is going to sit in as well. And then uh, during the 6 o'clock hour, Rich from uh, Morro Bay, who's now Rich from Mexico, is going to join me for a conversation on the many fronts of immigration that we're dealing with right now in this country. It is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. If you were to ask me in 27 and a half years of doing the show, my favorite segment, well, I might have to go with the pie. But if you take away the pie segment, all-time favorite was uh, during the 90s and early aughts, we had the language meisters on this show. Uh, it was uh, Dr. Bob Hewitt and Dr. John Battenberg. They were both Cal Poly professors. And they would come on eh, twice a year, and they would just sit here. And they would take phone calls about language and origin of words and how you pronounce things. And each time, I would be sitting here grinning from ear to ear because I was willing to bet that we were the only talk show host in the entire country at that time that was talking about that. It just always made me happy. And we lost, uh, we lost Bob. John retired. So we lost the segment. But our good friend, uh, author and historian Jim Gregory was on Facebook the other day. And he was coming up with origins of words and phrases. And that took me back to another time and place. And I reached out to Jim and invited him to come in. And guess what? Here he is. I showed up. Here I am. How good, are you, sir? Good to see you, Dave. Let's remind folks of all the many history books you have written over the years. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first it was World War II, a Royal Grandy, about my town's role in, in fighting and winning World War II. The second one uh, was called Patriot Graves. It turns out that we have over uh, 60 Civil War veterans buried in our cemetery. So it was about their lives and why they came to settle in San Luis Obispo County. The third one was the fun one. That was uh, San Luis Obispo County outlaws, uh, desperados, vigilantes, and bootleggers about our sometimes checkered past. Uh, and then uh, I've always loved airplanes, so uh, natural for the fourth book was uh, uh, Central Coast Aviators in World War II. And I got to uh, research some. I even met some who are still with us, uh, P-47 pilot, B-24 crewman, for example. And then the last one is a collection of, of nonfiction stories and, and essays uh, called, uh, since I'm a history teacher, I thought a good title would be, Will This Be on the Test? That's a great since title. I got that question so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And a website, Facebook page, how can people find these books? Uh, I have a, a website, realgrandyhistory.com, and all the books are also for sale on Amazon.com. Uh, the obvious uh, strikes me as the beginning here, the idea that every day we all drop in phrases and words into basic conversation. And if we stopped and think about it, we have no idea where those words came from. And English is, is obviously such a rich language. It, it, uh, not only the expressions we get from history, but the contributions from other cultures and other languages. It's really, it, it really is fascinating uh, uh, how many phrases even go back to, for example, uh, the late 17th and early, uh, uh, or late 18th and early 19th centuries. What prompted your Facebook post? You know, I've always been a, a, a big fan of uh, history of, of the Navy, both the American and the British Navy. I, I think uh, it probably goes back to my father being stationed in England uh, during World War II. He was a quartermaster officer, a supply officer, uh, by the way, decorated for bravery, for meritorious drinking under fire. Uh, he refused to uh, go to the to the tube during a V-1 raid on London because he'd had a hard day at the office and and he would not abandon his pint in his favorite pub. So the enlisted man in his outlet, uh, outfit uh, made him a beautiful, looked like a college diploma. Uh, so unofficially, he won that award for, for sticking by his beer during a V1 raid. Right, so, one of the, one oh, of the places he visited was Portsmouth, okay. and uh, which many, many years later, I would, I would get the privilege to visit. The president was just there. They have a wonderful D-Day museum there. Uh, but also, it's the home of the Royal Navy Museum and uh, of Lord Horatio Nelson's flagship, the, uh, the HMS Victory, on which he was killed at Trafalgar in 1805. One of the things that, that Dad brought back with him uh, were the old uh, C.S. Forrester novels about uh, Horatio Hornblower. Oh, yeah. He brought back the first three of the series uh, when uh, uh, Hornblower was a captain. And I, I think those were the first so-called big person or adult books that I read. I was immediately uh, entranced by them. And that's, that's kind of where my history in naval, naval things, all things naval, began. So a lot of these phrases, et cetera, have their roots in naval Yes, absolutely, and it the Navy was uh, uh, during from the Napoleonic era through World War II. The Navy was such a such a, a vital part of English identity. Uh, in in Nelson's day, they were the wooden walls that uh, protected England from invasion from Napoleon. And it, you don't have to go back too far in English history to to see that uh, the Navy playing that role, obviously, in 1588 during the, the Spanish Armada. Author, historian Jim Gregory is with us for the hour. Your phone call still to come. So uh, let's come up with a couple of examples. Uh, I jotted down from your original post. Here's one, loose cannon. Oh, that guy, I don't know. He's such a loose cannon. <laughs> if, if, that, if, a, if a cannon came loose from its mooring, from its rope riggings, and rolled around the deck, it would wreak havoc. Uh, uh, a cannon, say a 32-pound cannon, uh, fired a 32-pound cannonball or a carronade, which fired a, a monstrous ball at short range, could weigh up to three tons. So if you lost one of those uh, on, a, on a heaving uh, deck, uh, that definitely put everybody in danger. So you don't want a loose cannon. You want your cannon nice, nicely secured. Uh, so that's the derivation of that phrase. All right. Um, uh, aloof. Dave Congleton. Oh, he's okay, but, you know, he's kind of aloof. I was surprised to learn that that comes from a Dutch word. And the English and the Dutch have a long interconnected history. They even fought a naval war in the 1690s, uh, and they almost went to war over gin. 
uh, which mm. which came into England in, in great amounts in the 1700s. And gin was cheap and it was, uh, uh, you know, very easily available and it was uh, uh, becoming uh, a bother to English brewers. So anyway, but, but that is a Dutch word and luf means windward. So it's a ship that is that sails faster uh, than its sister ships and it becomes separated from the pack. So he is, really? if he's out ahead of there and everybody else is straggling and trying to catch up, he's aloof. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. I don't mean to stop the show, but I'm just processing that because <laughs> usually aloof is like a negative term. Well, what do you think? Well, ah, he's kind of aloof. If you're aloof in the naval way, you're, you've, uh, you've got a superior sailing ship. So in a way, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right. It's a good thing because everybody else is trying to catch up with you. What about scuttlebutt? What's the scuttlebutt on that guy? I love this one because it, it makes so much sense. Uh, you have to break it down into two parts. A, a butt is uh, a nautical term for a barrel. And uh, everything from uh, uh, limes to beef to water would come in, in these wooden barrels. And so a scuttlebutt has to do with a water barrel, a water butt. And uh, to, uh, to tap it, you scuttled or you carved a hole in it. So uh, uh, hence a, a barrel of water would, would become a scuttlebutt. And that's where sailors would uh, gather, uh, dip their cups in and get a drink. And it's a natural place uh, uh, to uh, gather in, and exchange gossip. So scuttlebutt <laughs> became a synonym for gossip. And what we do today, we use the term today, obviously, yeah, well, a water cooler. You yeah. know, and and, and the, 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 the scuttlebutt was the equivalent of the water cooler in Nelson's Navy. So uh, that's where we got that term. All right. Author, historian Jim Gregory walking us through the origins of certain words and phrases that we use on a regular basis. Welcome back and uh, chat some more. Your phone call still to come. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio for the Central Coast. It is the Dave Congleton Show. Good to be with you this afternoon. Just about 420 on News Talk 920 KVEC. You're listening to the Dave Congleton Show. My guest for the hour is author, historian Jim Gregory. His website is? RoyalGrandyHistory.com. We're just talking about the origin of words and phrases. We've talked about scuttlebutt and loose cannon and aloof. Marilyn is in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Marilyn. Hello, gentlemen. I think you have a fascinating profession to look up all these words, find out. Anyway, my question is, high five. Why do we get that? And then I had a a response. I know about um, the bullpen, where we got that was from the Bull Durham cigarettes or cigars, whatever. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, so high, high five. I have a question, and uh, you probably already knew about Bull Durham, but anyway. I love the movie too. Yeah, it's Thank a great. You. It's a great movie. <laughs> I, my guess, and Dave's uh, looking it up too, but uh, it's fairly recent uh, in uh, uh, in baseball that uh, players would would uh, slap each other's hands, give them the high five. Here we go. Um, and here comes... The two most documented candidates are Dusty Baker and Glenn Burke of the Dodgers uh-huh. on October 2nd, 1977, and Wiley Brown and Derek Smith of the Louisville Cardinals during the men's college basketball season, 1978. So around the late 1970s, professional athletes started giving a high five. So that it is fairly recent. 
in baseball world. Yeah. And then Dusty's one of my all-time favorite Dodgers, so I'm happy to hear that. There we go. That that might be it. So, he might be responsible for that. There's your answer, Marilyn. Oh, um, why do we say howdy? I, I, I don't know, okay? I, give Jim a chance to make his case here. Howdy's one that probably comes from Spanish, but I'm not sure. We've got yeah. so many words uh, uh, from from Spanish. I just found out uh, howdy's very Western. And it, you, yeah. you've heard of a 10-gallon hat? Yeah. There's a Spanish term, tan galán, which means very gallant. So you, you would say to somebody, uh, you, look so, you look tan galán in that sombreros. And uh, the tan galán kind of uh, became 10-gallon. Uh, All right, Marilyn, thank you. Alan's in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dave. Hey, James. Let's hey. go back to nautical themes. One that I can't relate to, but I have to ask the meaning, the origin, not the meaning. Three sheets to the wind. Oh, that's, that's, when, uh, <laughs> that's when you've been taken aback, when the wind has stripped away some of your, uh, some of your main cells, and you are probably headed for the rocks. Uh, so it became kind of, you're, you're out of control at that point. Uh, so somebody who's three sheets to the wind has probably had a little bit too much uh, rum. Okay, and, and they're out of control. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, all right. Thank you. Um, some other was I jotted down. Um, Try to read my handwriting here. Uh, pooped. You know, I pooped. The, the poop is the highest and the rearmost part of, a, of an old sailing ship. And if you, were, uh, if you were stationed on that part of the ship and you had a following sea, you would get drenched, absolutely drenched by big waves. So the saying became, uh, you were pooped and you were worn out just by getting hit, buffeted over and over again by waves. So eventually it worked into its language as a way of being extremely tired or worn out. Uh, the point I was raising to you during the break is the idea that each generation has their language. Like here's an example, hunky-dory. What is, everything's hunky-dory. Everything's hunky-dory. Everything's okay, and that's something that you don't hear anymore. But right. during your 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, it's something certainly my dad's generation. And that actually, that's more of an American uh, Navy term, and it actually comes from uh, the red light district in Yokohama, Japan, which was called hunky-dory. And so it's, that was where sailors would go to <clears throat> have a good time, as it were, uh, and uh, it was in that district of Yokohama where everything was hunky-dory. So there are certain phrases that generations use, and sometimes they get passed on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't. I was telling you about our uh, young woman who works here, Emma. I think Emma is 24, 25, mid-20s. She speaks a language all through her own, using words I have no idea what the heck she is saying. But anybody else in her age group could understand. And I could probably throw some of these at her right now. And she'd have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. So uh, it's often generational. Oh, yeah. I can remember uh, when, when I was teaching at a Rio Grande High School. It's not language, but it's germane to your point. Uh, stopping and trying to explain to my students the concept of uh, long distance and dialing O for operator. Yeah. My mom called my dad. My dad worked in San Luis. We lived in a Rio Grande. And they looked at me blankly uh, like I was some kind of Neanderthal. Uh, so, yeah, there are some things that... Uh, uh, that survive and and some things that uh, that kind of go out of style. Well, here a couple more, uh, a couple Joe. I don't hear that much anymore. You know, strangely enough, that is an American Navy term, and it it comes from uh, American Secretary of Navy under Woodrow Wilson. His name was Josephus Daniels, 
And his assistant secretary, by the way, was Franklin Roosevelt, who was following in the steps of Theodore Roosevelt, who had also been assistant secretary of the Navy. Well, Josephus was was kind of a teetotaler. He uh, and he uh, banished uh, uh, wine lockers from officers' wardrooms. So. From uh, Josephus Daniels' uh, time until World War II, the strongest drink you could get uh, in a wardroom for officers, for young officers, was a cup of coffee. So it became known as a as a cup of Joe. <laughs> I love this. Uh, mind your P's and Q's. Uh, when sailors uh, were on shore in between assignments in, in the Royal Navy, uh, their favorite places to visit were taverns. And they would... Uh, they would be trusted to run a tab until their pay came in. So it was a tavern keeper's responsibility to, to uh, keep that tab and to check it to make sure it was accurate. So minding your P's and Q's, that was shorthand for pints and quarts. So you were keeping track of who drank how much, and then when payday came, uh, you would collect. But you had to mind your P's and Q's in order to collect your money. I find it fascinating about how much military terms have drifted into civilian life. Mm -hmm. Let's hear from George in San Luis. Hi, George. Hey, good to talk to you guys. Hi, George. Hey, George. Um, hi. Got a quick question before I, I uh, add my other part. You said there's Civil War vets buried here in the county. How many Confederate ones? Very few. The overwhelming yeah. majority uh, in Rio Grande, for example, we have about 55 or so Union veterans uh, and uh, uh, probably three or four Confederates. Only one absolutely confirmed. He was a Georgia veteran. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I know you got the only Medal of Honor winner in the county. Yes, we do. There. Yeah, he won it at the Battle of Nashville in 1864. Yeah. A, a couple of military terms I want to bring up. Um, balls to the wall. Ooh, I have a similar one. That one I don't know. What's your similar? Okay, balls, what's, what's your it, similar it, one? Freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, balls to the wall was in some of the aircraft in World War II. Your throttle had a ball at the end because if you had a pair of gloves on, you could grab it and pull it back as far as it could go. Wow! And that's to go as fast as you could go. Okay. And it was uh, more of an aviation term. Okay. That, and, that's uh, fascinating. Another one of my uh, favorite terms is stack arms. I've never heard that. Okay. Uh, to stack arms has got twofold meaning. Well, I'm tired. I think I'll stack arms for the day. I'm going to go to bed. Okay. Or uh, Joe Schmo finally stacked arms. He died. Okay. I never heard of that phrase. All right, George, thank you. Callers, please be patient. We want to hear from you. Jim Gregory back on Hometown Radio. Talk about the origin of words and phrases. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, Craig, and you have an update for us on... Balls on the wall? Yeah, balls to the wall and balls out. Actually, the, the common belief is that whole jet fighter thing in the 60s. And I think that maybe that's where it got popularized. But in the 1800s, uh, you had a lot of things that were run off steam, and you'd have belt-driven belt machinery, and those belts were driven from one central uh, steam-driven motor, and that had a, a clutch that had a, a ball mechanism that the faster you went, the further the ball would travel out. So balls out or balls to the wall was about a machine in a room that had a ball clutch 
Does that make uh, sense? Wait, to you? Would it that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds very industrial revolution. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for tuning in to Hometown Radio. You're listening to the Dave Congleton Show. We're busy this afternoon, but it's all good. Mark Wilson and Pepper Daniels are going to be here during the 5 o'clock hour. Mark's going to have his own show on KVEC starting uh, Mondays at noon. Uh, we'll explain and let you meet Mark if you haven't met him already. This hour, we continue our conversation with author, historian, Jim Gregory, where the website remains... com. We're just talking about the origin of words and phrases with particular interest on those that came from uh, nautical roots. We've talked about mind your P's and Q's and a cup of joe and scuttlebutt, aloof, loose cannon, uh, pooped. If you want to end the conversation, join us. 805-543-8830, 800-549-5832. And Jim will uh, try his best to explain things. All right. Um... We've got Tracy on KVEC. Hi, Tracy. Hi, how are you? We're good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What's your question for Jim? <laughs> hey, I've got, I've got one that goes way back. My mom is 89 years old, and her grandmother used to say this to her, and we cannot figure out what the heck it means. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. Ooh, that's a good one. I've heard that one uh, before, too, but it is. It's, it's an old one. Uh, boy, i uh, a handbasket sounds like something you'd shop with. Dave's looking furiously. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you think? I'm glad I stumped you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yes, I, I have definitely heard that before, but not in a long, long time. To go to hell in a handbasket means to go to one's doom, to deteriorate quickly, to proceed on a course to disaster. The phrase to go to hell in a handbasket is an American phrase which came to use into general use during the American Civil War. Hmm. So it goes, wow. it goes back to the American Civil War. Wow, that is incredible. Okay, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just trying to simulate the handbasket. What does that have to do with anything? But anyway, thank you. You bet. Uh, Tracy, thank you. Any guess about what a handbasket would be? That's fascinating. Well, it, it, But the, the thing that's fascinating is the Civil War phrase. That's something that was handed down to her grandmother. So there you can see something coming down through the generations. Amy is in Bradley on KVEC. Hi, Amy. Yes. Hi, Amy. Hi. Hi. We're on, we're on the air. Go ahead. How about, how about the drink? The drink. As in referencing the seed. Oh, you mean like uh, like grog, Amy? That was a uh, that was what they drank back in the back in the old days. No, no, no. When you call the ocean the drink. Oh, the drink. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably just kind of a a, a little example of uh, you know under emphasizing, over emphasizing hyperbole. Uh, you throw something in the drink, it makes it sound smaller than it really is. So it's kind of a reverse exaggeration kind of thing, I guess. That would be my guess. Well, I got a story to tell you. Go okay. My grandmother owned a house in Newport during the World War. Mm-hmm. And she would spread beds tall as the Navy guys. And my uncle, when he was a baby, asked him what the ocean was. And they told him it was a big bunch of water. And he didn't really understand, so they told him it was the drink. So she had hundreds of sailors go through that house <laughs> and they would 
hear the kid calling the ocean to drink. So it stuck. And this would have been in the, what, the 40s. 1940s. And it stuck. I don't know if that's where it came from, but no, that's go- where I heard it was. It goes all the way back to the 1850s. A large body of water is called a drink. It came about in the 1850s. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. There you go, Amy. Thank you. Uh, as uh, Jim takes a drink, we got Rob and Los Osos on KVEC. Hi, Rob. Hi, Dave. Hi. Hi, Rob. Hi to your guest. Hi. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. This is Jim. Great show. Thank you. A um, couple things. Uh, an alternate ex- explanation of P's and Q's is when typesetters would mm-hmm. be setting type. They had to set the letters back. Right, back in the hot lead days. To print, and, and a P and a Q would look... A small case P and Q would look the same, except reversed. So that was an alternate explanation I heard a while ago for that one. That's a great one. And then uh, the other thing, um, a while ago I took a boat tour on an old sailing vessel, and the guy told me that the term, which we use all the time, it's your turn, came from when they would have to man the tiller, which was a really hard job, and they would have to man it for as long as the the half-hour glass. Mm Mm-hmm. Went and then so your turn was when they would turn the hourglass. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I don't know because it's such a common expression, but nobody, if you think about it, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, why is it your turn? Why isn't it your opportunity? Or you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's a great that that's something else that worked its way from uh, from sailing days into the into general usage. Yeah, it's cool. That's Thanks, right, anyway. I'm really enjoying the show. All right, thank you, thank you, Rob. Eight zero five five four three eight eight three zero. 800-549-5832. We invite your phone calls for Jim Gregory as we look at the history of certain origin and phrases. Carol is in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Carol. Hey, guys. Hi, Carol. Hi, Carol. I, I love your show today. Thank okay, you. I have I have one, but it's not um, maritime. All right. Um, I love this one. It's raining cats and dogs. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. Jim, take a pass at that. That one I don't have a clue, but it it almost sounds like something that could have come out of a fairy tale, uh, um, almost medieval. It go, there's a website, and I'm trying to remember what it is, Carol. That's a great one. Where they go through all these, um, yeah, uh, phrases. I actually know it. Do you want me to tell? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Please. Okay. Okay. So in Ireland, you know, they have the thatch hut uh, houses, you know, built into the hillside. Right. With a big thatch roof and right. small for the family and a stove pipe, you know, in the middle of the house. And um, on the cold nights, the animals, the cats and the dogs, would crawl up on the roof and get close to the pipe to stay warm. Yes. But on um, rainy days, really rainy days, the thatch would give away, give way, and the cats and dogs would literally come through the roof so it was raining cats and dogs that's exactly what uh google says fantastic that's That's a a fun one that's a great story and and it makes perfect sense too because in those days the dogs would never be allowed on the inside nor the cats and they want to be warm so they go up on the roof Uh, i'm trying to picture a dog on the roof and then they fall through hey it's raining cats and dogs (laughs) i love it the great I have story. Another one. I have one more if you sure. want. I yeah. don't know the answer, but maybe you do. All right. Okay. Um, he's a dead ringer. 
Oh, he's a dead ringer. Dead ringer. Okay, we're looking that one up. Why am I the guy looking this you've up? Got the, you've got the phone. You're the historian. <laughs> Ever hear? You hear the phrase? He's a dead ringer. Um, dead ringer is an idiom in English. It means an exact duplicate or 100% duplicate and derives from 19th century horse racing slang for a horse presented under a false name and pedigree. Hmm. It also sounds eerily similar to the German doppelganger. Yes. So it's a late 19th century term for duplicate, usually with implications of dishonesty, and dead in this case means precise, as in dead center. Oh, so there you go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you, right. Carol. 805-543-8830-800-549-5832. Craig is in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Craig. Craig, how are Hi. you, Dave? We're good, Craig. Thanks. That's good. That's kind of a fun show. Thanks. We're trying. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I've got a couple of them, and I've I've heard you know variations on on uh, where the origins are in these. But they got the since you guys are talking about ships and balls and whatnot, they got the you know cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you know and that then, one, Jim. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that one I know. What, uh, what is yeah. it? Well, a monkey was a, uh, a bronze uh, uh, container, kind of like uh, a rack for cue balls when you play pool. And mm-hmm. they would stack the cannonballs inside uh, the monkey. And unfortunately, I said bronze, I meant brass. When it's really, really cold, brass contracts, and the cannonballs come spilling out and rolling around the deck. So when that happens, it's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Yep, that's, that's the that's the same one I had heard. That's the isn't it? and that's another so, one that comes from uh, from uh, seventeen and eighteen hundreds. It goes that far back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's the other one you the, have, Craig? The, so the other one's just the origin of shot glass. Mm. So yeah, what yeah. I heard was that the the bullets were used as currency back in the day, okay. and that's what you could get the amount of alcohol that you could get for <laughs> one bullet. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a great one. I'll have to look that one up. That's why it's called a shot glass. All right, good. Yep. All right, Craig, thank you. Appreciate the call. We'll be back for a final segment with uh, Jim Gregory. I'm Dave Congleton. We're live. We're local. We're hometown radio. We're spending the hour with author, historian Jim Gregory, tracing the origin of popular words and phrases. Before I take the next call, shot glass actually is a popular theory. It's named in honor of Dr. George Schott, S-C-H-O-T-T, and it was meant primarily as a small glass in which you could put your quill. Does that make sense to you, Jim? Uh, Jim's with me. All right, uh, back on the phones we go. Bob's in Atascadero. Hi, Bob. Hi. Hi, Bob. Hey, Bob. How you doing, Dave? We're good, Bob. How are you? I got a good one for the closing of your show. What does sleep tight mean? Ooh. I know what tight can mean. It means you've had a few too many, but I don't know what sleep tight means. I know the answer to this came from the Old West, and when they didn't have springs and stuff under their bedding, Uh they had ropes tied to one part of their frame to the headboard, to the footboard, to the side rails, and they taught those ropes every night or once a week or so, and they want to make sure your ropes were tight so you could sleep well. And that's the only way you had to uh, have a good night's sleep. And then you want, they said, 
when your children went to bed, you said sleep tight. Makes you're sense. Your ropes were tight. And there's nothing worse than sagging in your sleep. I learned something today. <laughs> All right, Bob. Thank you very much for letting us know about that. Let me bring George back into the conversation. Hey, George. Hey, George. Hi. Back again. Um, two things for you. One of them about that dead ringer. My understanding was that in the old days, before they started embalming, they would bury people. They would put a rope in their hand, which would go out to a post that had a bell on there, because more than once they found a person who was buried was still alive, because they'd be ringing the bell. That was my understanding about dead ringer. Yeah, but that doesn't, I I think that's another use of the term. Mm -hmm. A dead ringer is somebody who looks exactly like somebody else. Okay, and the other one I wanted to to give out is somebody gets court-martialed and they get a bad conduct discharge, a BCD, that's often referred to as a big chicken dinner. Ooh, because uh, that might have been why they got discharged. Well, you know, bad conduct discharge, BCD. Again, I've never heard of that one either. Uh You're stumping me today, George. Hey, I try. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) If you want in on this conversation, such as it is, we need to hear from you now, please. 805-543-8830-800-549-5832 for Jim Gregory. Uh, let's throw a couple more here. Um, cat out of the bag. Oh, that's for the cat of nine tails. Corporal punishment was it was pretty vicious in the Royal Navy. You let the cat out of the bag. The cat is the cat of nine tails, which was a uh, uh, what sailors were whipped with, and it would be kept in a canvas bag. Uh, so when they let the cat out of the bag, you were in big, big trouble. And uh, sometimes a dozen, sometimes two dozen lashes. There are even cases of sailors who did something really bad of being lashed around the fleet. Over a barrel. I have that guy over a barrel. There are two ways of, of getting yourself uh, uh, catted, <laughs> and then neither one of them are, are, are very comfortable. One thing they do is they lift a grating from the top of a hold and tie a sailor to that and apply the cat of nine tails, or they tie hog time over a barrel. And that uh, you get punished that way. So that would be sometimes where you were secured where the cat of nine tails was applied to your back. Uh, a phrase I've never really gotten. Hey, let's sit down and chew the fat. We're going to chew the fat. Uh, we talked about the butts that, that uh, water and, and fruit and, and that things like that were stored in these oak casts. Well, so was meat. Uh, and A, the, the meat was uh, pickled in brine. and wasn't always the best cut. So if you've been out at sea... Uh, for a few months and were served dinner, uh, the salt pork or salt beef that you got uh, uh, required considerable chewing. Uh, in fact, some of the some of the cuts of meat became so hard and so uh, so incredibly tough that sailors actually would carve ship models out of them. <laughs> so uh, when you sat down with your mates for dinner, uh, uh, chewing the fat is what you literally had to do, and that became uh, kind of a uh, saying for sitting around the table and, and talking about what had happened during the day. We go to Sean in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Sean. Hi, Dave. Hi. I don't know if you got, got this one yet. How about play it by ear? Where did, where did that come from? Ooh, that's a good one, too. That sounds like... Uh, well, I imagine that'd be a musical one. Yes. You don't know. Yeah. I'm going to play it. I'm going to play that by ear. Yeah. I, 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 what does that sound like to you, Jim? Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know the uh, the derivation, but it sure sounds musical to me. Uh, almost like I'll make it up as I go along, or yeah, uh, well, that kind of thing. That would be my guess, Sean. What do you think? Uh, oh, I always was curious because it seems like it's used in so many different ways. Like mm-hmm. if a person hasn't figured it out yet, oh, we'll play it by ear. And I'm like, huh, that means you're already making a choice 
but yet you're not sure yet. So I don't know. It's very fascinating usage. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, the original version on it is to perform music without having to read from a score. You're playing something just by the sound. Right. And people, right. yeah. Now, differently. Very interesting how it's kind of evolved, I guess, through how it's been used since. Playing, I don't know when I'm to look that up. Playing it by ear means you have no game plan. Oh, okay. Okay. To play it by ear is to act spontaneously and according to the situation. Ah, okay. So I guess we are using it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Good job, Sean. Thank you. Let's hear from uh, Matt in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hi, Matt. Uh, hey, Matt. How, have you heard the term come hell or high water? Yes. What's the origin of that one? Dave's looking at that one, too. I'm, I'm looking at the expert. What do you think? <laughs> I'm, what, take a guess. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Johnstown. Okay. Well, explain. For Johnstown flood uh, back in the 1870s in Pennsylvania, the disasters. So I don't know. That's what, that's what first came to mind. I don't know if it has anything to do with that or not. Come hell or high water. Uh, I used to hear it a lot in the, in the old westerns. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like uh, no matter, almost like uh, no matter what happens. Well, exactly. I, I mean, it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the idea that um, there are phrases that are generational and don't get passed on mm -hmm. from, from person to person. Um, exactly. right, so here we go. Um, come hell or high water... If you say that you will do something come hell or high water, you mean that you're determined to do it. It's going to get done. Despite any difficulties there might be. I'll get you to the airport by noon come hell or high water. That sounds wow. good. Yeah. That's the best I can do for you, Matt. Well, thanks for letting me know. All right. Good show, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you being part of it. Uh, we got Steve in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Steve. Hello, Dave. How are you today? Good, Dr. Steve. How are you, sir? Fine. You know, there's so many acronyms in medicine, but one that I, I really liked when I was a flight surgeon is uh, to fly by the seat of your pants. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh. And from my understanding is, is that the, what the pilots told me is that if they lost all of their instrumentation, they would have to fly just by feeling where the where the plane was going uh, by their seat, you know, by pressing up against their the seat of their pants. And so they were flying without instruments and, and without any visual cues just by the seat of their pants. That's what this says. It's to decide a course of action as you go along using your own initiative and perceptions rather than a predetermined plan or mechanical aids. Yeah, that fits. And then, like, in medicine, you know, there's, there's so many, but, like, circling the drain, have you heard that one? Mm -hmm. I don't know that one. That's where if a patient is, is not doing well, they're yeah. kind of circling the drain. Oh, oh dear. dear. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> but these, are, these are fascinating. I really appreciate your show today. Well, thank you, Dr. It's very informative and entertaining. Thank you for being part of it, sir. Um. The devil to pay? Devil to pay. Uh, there's one thing sailors hated. It was caulking the seams of a, of a wooden ship uh, with, with pitch. And the devil was the, the longest seam in the ship. So if you have the devil to pay, that means you have a lot of work ahead of you. All right. Uh, let's uh, squeeze in. Uh, we, got ne we got Nina on KVEC. Hi, Nina. Hi. Hi. Hi, Nina. Hi, guys. Hi. 
You're on the oh. air. Go for it. And I, moved, I just moved to another area, and I deal with um, a lot of female clients. Okay. And a lot of things I've been hearing lately. Uh, oh, you're breaking up. Nina? Has a it, picture. Um, and I think it's just really interesting because with our whole, you know, change uh, in social media and how that affects our perceptions of ourselves. Right. I really get to see it on a daily basis. So I like to understand pretty as a picture as oh. pretty as pretty as meaning good looking as a picture. So a picture meaning That's my understanding of it. I guess picture yeah, picture yeah. perfect, right? Yeah. Is that what you would think, Jim? Pretty uh, as a sounds, picture? That sounds right to me. That works for me. Nina, I gotta let you go. We're almost out of time. Son of a gun. Son of a gun. Uh sometimes uh, when ships were in port uh, sailors' ladies would be allowed to hammock with him on the gun deck, and uh, a, a, a baby that was conceived there, or even sometimes born there, because that's where there was room enough to uh, lay a person out to give birth, uh, that became a son of a gun. Son of a gun. Now I know. Nice job, Jim Gregory. Thanks for coming in again. That website is? com. Final thoughts, sir. I'll be uh, speaking August 10th at the South County Library and at the IWF Hall in Royal Grady on August 17th, both at 2 p.m. So hope to see so many folks there. This is on your website? Yes, it is. All right, sir. Nice job. Thank you. Off we go. News, traffic, weather. And let's meet the guy who's going to start a new local talk show on this station starting Monday. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.